Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Aschuti, Tulane University Freeman School of Business professor and director of the Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Here's a real-world business problem for you. Employers in New Orleans say they can't find enough people with skills in technology. Colleges in New Orleans say they don't offer more classes in technology because there aren't enough kids coming out of high school with an education in what they call STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. High schools say they can't teach STEM subjects to any greater degree because they simply don't have the $70,000 that's required to buy the specialized materials that they only use a few days out of the year. So what's the solution to this logjam? It might be something called the STEM Library Lab. It's a lending library of STEM equipment. Teachers who need 30 thermometers or a dozen microscopes borrow the equipment and get help learning how to use it and can even get help putting together a lesson plan. The STEM Library Lab is here in New Orleans and it's the first of its kind anywhere. The co-founder and director of STEM Library Lab is Todd Wackerman. Todd, welcome out to lunch. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so in New Orleans, we don't have enough STEM graduates coming into the local workforce to remain competitive in the national economy. That's already an alarm bell that's ringing. But we have an even more dismal record if you look at the number of women in the tech sector. And that's where Electric Girls comes in. Electric Girls is a nonprofit learning space where girls learn STEM skills from each other. And they have after-school programs, Saturday classes, and summer camps. Electric Girls has been running since 2015, and their programs have reached around 1,000 girls. Flora Cerner is the co-founder and executive director of Electric Girls. Flora, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Todd, the complaints we hear from employers in New Orleans about the shortage of employees with STEM skills is echoed by employers throughout the country. There have been all kinds of initiatives to remedy the problem, mostly in the form of relationships between business and colleges. For example, here in New Orleans, GE financed computer science classes at UNO. But as far as I know, nobody in the country has gone back a further step to address the source of this problem, the lack of STEM education in schools. If you're successful with the STEM Library Lab and every school in town starts using your equipment, Aren't you going to run into the same funding problem that schools have now? You'll have to buy so much equipment and have so many people employed to run things that you'll need a lot of money. Do you have a business plan for success? Can you finance this with grants and donations alone? Or is there a way for the STEM library lab to be self-sustaining? So you're right. We do have a plan for making this sustainable. The inventory that we stock is funded through community partnerships with local family foundations as well as equipment suppliers and manufacturers. But to make this sustainable, we can operate year after year because schools actually also participate with a small membership fee. So while all of the equipment that we need on our shelves comes through uh, philanthropic giving, 
we can become operationally sustainable through school membership fees that allow us to go year after year providing the same service. Now, Floor, you came up with the idea for Electric Girls when you discovered you were the only female recording engineer in your class at Loyola's music industry program. When you graduated, you went on to become a recording engineer at a recording studio here in New Orleans. Then, ironically, you had to deplete the engineering workforce by one woman to create more women engineers. In 2017, you had to walk away from engineering so you could run Electric Girls full-time. Uh, has any of your education or work experience prepared you for running an educational institute? That is a great question, and I, I, it takes me sometimes 30 to 45 minutes to really explain how there is a connection between me growing up as a musician and then a recording engineer and now being an executive director of an education nonprofit, but there is a connection and there is a reason. Uh, I think in general, I have been very fortunate to be a part of some pretty flexible um, education that allowed me to take some autonomy over my own learning. So the last few months of my senior year of high school, we had to do an internship where I worked in a recording studio. Same with at Loyola, they allowed me to really make my honors thesis about electric girls and the development of electric girls. So. I think I've always been in a position to where I can, you know, sort of see a problem at large and try to tackle it. I have been learning every single day, every minute of the day, how to really step into this role. And I know that a huge piece of why it works is definitely luck. Uh, I'm lucky, I really am lucky that I enjoy this executive director position that I'm in now in our major staff of two full-time individuals. Um, because before I was just a teacher. I was teaching these girls, you know, in groups of six to 10 at a time, how to build circuits. And I have gone through the gamut up to where I am now, and I am lucky that I enjoy that. Why peer-to-peer? Uh, -peer? Why girls teaching girls? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the major premise of Electric Girls and of this movement of encouraging girls to recognize their own skills in STEM is around creating the proper culture and the proper environment. And almost all of that work can come from building an environment that is girl-centric. Girls learning from girls, um, girls being taught by older women, having uh, engineers and role models come in who are representative of them. Um, so that's really why, is that girls feel less intimidation when they're learning from another girl. Something you might not know, and something you might actually not know, is that two years ago when I, I stopped teaching to start STEM Library Lab, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so basically, I went to Propeller, and I entered in a pitch competition, uh, and I was in that pitch competition with Floor. So she doesn't know this, but like when I was starting out, I was watching her, and she ended up winning the competition. Um, so is this some sort of confession story about met. stalking? Or <laughs> That's how we met. A, um, okay, all right. But that was the first time that we ever met or interacted was two years ago at this competition, and I was like, wow, that's someone who's got this together. So I, uh, I did not know that uh, you had the same sort of qualms about moving from a totally different career path to becoming an entrepreneur because that's something that's happened to me is I was like, I'm a teacher, and I want to start this nonprofit, but I don't know what I'm doing. So for the last two years, it's been an interesting process of learning how to start this nonprofit uh, and learning how to organize and put this all together. Um, but I've been watching from 
one of the masters. I'm not a master, but I learned from people who I consider masters as well in this city. There's Again, a lot of collaboration. That's what I was going to say. That's what we hear so much. Is it would be very strange if we didn't know each other in this New Orleans STEM <laughs> space. It really is a pretty small now, space. Now, help me out with the, uh, the, the funding here. Do the yeah. girls pay? It depends. So for the majority of our programs, girls do not pay. Um, for some of our Saturday programs and summer camps, there is a tuition fee but at least half and up to 75% of the girls are on a full scholarship to participate. And those are girls who are low income in New Orleans who would qualify for a scholarship. Um, and that scholarship historically has been covered through corporate sponsorships. This last summer, our 180 girls were sponsored under a scholarship through, through Shell. Thank you, Shell. And um, uh, donations, a lot of donations, smaller grants. Well, Flo, so. how do you define success? Because I imagine it's not just financial. Yes. Do you mean success as an organization or success yeah, for um, a girl going how through about, the program? How about, let's try them all. Great. So for a girl going through the program, what, what we would identify as a successful experience is if that girl completes an electric girls program, has put her hands on some tools, built something, and has been able to say that I feel more confident than I did before in my ability to build or to code. Do you like survey them? Yes, we do. Because ah, now years from now, we'll be able to measure success maybe in how many of them are actually working in the tech field or such. But uh, I had the opportunity to go to the demo day that uh, Electric Girls hosted a couple of weeks or maybe a month ago. Uh, and it was really cool. I watched, it was like a group of five or six year olds teaching everyone how to strip a wire. There was a group of, I think, 12 or 13 year olds that were describing the houses they had, the model houses they'd built and wired themselves. Uh, and everyone was like, not only just so on point, but so excited about it. It was a really cool event. Now, Todd, you, you have uh, equipment that, uh, first of all, I guess with business terms, I mean, it's depreciating. Uh, and then there's, imagine, <laughs> imagine some stuff gets broken. Yeah. Uh, how do you factor that in? If something, uh, um, do you, how long does this equipment supposed to last, for instance? Sure. So each of these pieces is totally unique. We, just about a half hour ago, I placed an order for some more equipment, and it's everything from a muscular arm that comes apart so you can study the different muscles and bones in the arm to uh, the cleaning strips for microscope slides to... Uh, a bowling ball on a string that you can hang up and swing back and forth to show uh, the, the classic bowling ball experiment of uh, conservation of momentum. So each of these things is totally different, and some of them, like I said, were, con were consumables. Um, but Todd, what I'm thinking about is you, uh, there'd be a couple of ways to do this. You could almost buy the stuff on spec, but the other way that would make more sense, I guess, is to talk to the teachers, do a lot of a lot of meetings and figure out what it is they need and then go buy the stuff. Right? Well, and that's what's, that, it's been an intensive process. So we originally planned this idea of let's get $300,000 worth of equipment and put it in a room. And we realized that's not the best model because if we end up buying 30 Bunsen burners and it turns out that we only needed 12, then we've wasted 18, 18 Bunsen burners worth of money on stuff we could have bought somewhere else. So we've been largely buying based on teacher requests and we have to strike this balance of having enough equipment on demand in the library that you can walk in and find what you need, but also being able to offer anything that a teacher wants and say, if you order it from us, 
we'll express ship it, we'll get it to our library in the next three days, and then you can borrow it. Because we want to both solve that problem of a teacher who says, man, I could teach this great lesson if I had 30 compasses, iron filings, and magnets tomorrow, and they can walk in and get that. Or the teacher who says, I want to plan my next unit, and it's going to involve a digestive system model. Can you order me a digestive system model? That's an odd request. You know, for yeah. most, you're not going to find that in a normal Indeed. Walmart. So <laughs> you're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Todd Wackerman from STEM Library Lab, where they lend schools science and tech equipment, and Floor Cerner from Electric Girls, where girls learn STEM skills from other girls. I have a question. Yeah. Would you ever allow universities to participate? Yes. I think the idea behind what we're trying to do is educational equity. Um, we don't see a lot of universities needing to borrow from us, but we would love to partner with universities. Specifically, something that we're trying to do is access to equipment is like one half of the battle. The fact that teachers can't get the cool stuff they need for their classroom is a big deal. But the other half of the battle is teachers are overworked and exhausted, and there's so many other barriers to actually using equipment that if we put $300,000 worth of stuff on a shelf and no one borrows from it, we haven't actually done any good. So we would love to find universities and organizations throughout the city and various partners that are going to be part of our sort of team of experts so that when teachers are like, I want to do something cool, but I don't actually know how to plan it, they can talk to an expert from a local university, from a local STEM organization, or from a local STEM corporation in the area and get subject matter expertise on how to implement cool lessons into their classroom. Now, Todd and Floor, this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. It's been a long day. You're looking forward to having a quiet dinner. When your phone rings, it's your brother-in-law. He usually only calls if he needs to borrow power tools, but this time it's different. This time your brother-in-law's got a business idea. Floor, your brother-in-law says you have all these smart girls and you're looking for a source of sustainable funding. What about making a YouTube show about them? Your brother-in-law's already talked to a couple of Hollywood South guys he knows who can write and shoot it. They may have to make up a few storylines, like one girl is dating the other girl's brother and stuff like that. But basically, it'll be the story of a bunch of electric girls. It's got YouTube hit written all over it. It'll put electric girls on the map. What do you say? Are you in? I'm partially in. (laughs) So we have definitely thought about a YouTube channel before. I will say I have never thought about including the drama for these adolescent girls in a YouTube channel. No need for that. But we have considered having a more educational YouTube channel where the girls, and we we do have actually a couple recorded, haven't put them up yet, non-published, but girls explaining how to build something that they've learned on screen. So thank you, brother-in-law. I will take up your offer on your connections for uh, producing and shooting this. I think that would be great. You may not go with a, that extra storyline, though. Probably won't go with the storyline because, on, to be totally honest, this, here, no, here's what I think. The girls have tons of personality on their own. You don't need to fabricate a storyline for there to be something happening on screen. <laughs> Keep now, it Todd, natural. Todd, your brother-in-law 
uh, points out that there's money in rentals because you basically sell the same product over and over. But if you're only renting to schools, you've got a limited number of clients. And if you're only renting out science equipment, you've got a limited number of items to make money on. So what your brother-in-law suggests is, seeing you have the whole rental operation set up already, you could rent out other stuff uh, that people only need once in a while, like power tools. What do you say? Would expanding the range of rented items be something you could do at STEM Library Lab for added revenue? It depends. Uh, so I don't think we're ever going to rent out a pressure washer because Home Depot is doing that already and doing just a perfectly fine job of it. Um, <laughs> We definitely are open to expanding the audience that is participating in this. So that could be uh, various community organizations that are, I'm, I'm spitballing, like Girl Scouts or various other organizations that are like, we want to rent some cool stuff every so often. Um, and we were very deliberate about the name STEM Library Lab because it's going to allow us sometime in the future to drop the word STEM and be Library Lab. And it, uh, rent, social studies, and art, and all the other things that a school or a community might need. We also have been talking to folks who run makerspaces about possible uh, light tools and things like that that they could borrow in their makerspaces. The, the underlying trend here is going to continue to be education. So whether we expand and we do different subjects or work with makerspaces, it's always about how do we improve equity in education for the students of Greater New Orleans. And Flora, what does a typical day look like for you? For me, um, it's a good question. So I'm very grateful now that we've gotten to a point where I'm not the only employee of Electric Girls, so we have two. So we have an office. Um, <laughs> office is based um, in the CBD, and so let's see, I wake up typically around six, drink a lot of coffee, three to four cups, um, do some morning stretches, bike to work on the Lafitte Greenway, shout out to the Greenway. Um, Good start, by the way. Yes, and then I typically get to work by 8.45 in the morning, and I meet with our program director, Sia, and we plan out some of the immediate needs, put out some of the fires where we might have school partnerships that are um, maybe not on track due to miscommunications with the schools or tropical storms hitting. Um, maybe one school needs some more motors delivered to their program, hammer out some of those things and then talk long-term strategy. So already planning summer camp 2019, how we can make that a more impactful experience, reading through feedback um, from parents and from students about what their summer camp 2018 experience was like. And right now really planning expansion. So how can we package what is so great about Electric Girls and what has gotten Electric Girls um, to the point where it is now and how we can bring that to other places in Louisiana. So a program in Lafayette wants to have an electric girls program. How can we make that happen? Make sure that it's high quality without driving to Lafayette and making it happen. Todd, are you finally in some sort of physical space? Uh, yeah, actually, we just moved into our new location. It's inside Bricolage Academy in Mid-City. And you can walk in and you can see all of this stuff on the shelf and you can browse and it's just like... If you are a science teacher, to me, it's like a, it's a magical, happy place. Uh, it's actually really cool. I'd, I'd love to have whoever's interested come on by. 
Now, Flora, I have to ask you, you're kind of by yourself. There's only a couple of you. Do you have an advisory board? Uh, we have a board of directors that I'd say acts largely like an advisory board a lot of the time, and they're wonderful people and very helpful. And Todd, is, is somewhere along the line, uh, I know you're thinking bigger than you are because of just the name creation. You mentioned that. Uh, can you bring this to other cities? I mean, I, I think the answer is yes, but our plan right now is to is to get this right in New Orleans. That we know that the equipment lending is a big part of this, and we know that the support structures that we offer in terms of connecting teachers with experts in the community and connecting, I mean, in New Orleans especially, um, teachers oftentimes don't have an opportunity to chat with other teachers and their content levels because the charter system has made it so you might work in a high school that you're the only biology teacher that you ever interact with. And same thing with fourth grade or first grade. So creating uh, support structures to connect teachers with each other and making sure that they have access to planning resources, all these things, we want to get it right before we export it somewhere else. In a world where everything we hear about seems to be some form of disturbing news that's delivered by mass media that half of us distrust or social media that most of us distrust, it restores your faith in human nature to discover that there are people out there who are genuinely working for the greater good of all of us, people like you, Flora and Todd. Thank you so much for everything you're doing, and thank you for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for taking me out to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <Success>. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Flora Serna. She's the co-founder and executive director of Electric Girls. And Todd Wackerman, co-founder and director of STEM Library Lab. You can find out more about Flora's Electric Girls and Todd's Library Lab by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to the show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit hancockwhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 